Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. And I'm Corwin Heller. Shout out to today's hat, Ramapo Roadrunners. Boom. Boom. Ramapo Roadrunners. Ain't nobody. So, also, fun fact for anybody not from the area or also didn't go to Ramapo College, um, which is most people, Ramapo College is very small. Um, they were originally called the Roadrunners because they went the, the the school got put together and they put together a, uh, athletics programs before they actually built any place for the athletic teams to play <laughs> so like rampo had like a basketball team before they had a basketball court <laughs> so they were always the away team because they had to be um so that earned them the nickname of the road runners and then when they got that nickname they were like hey let's use like the road runner from looney tunes or not looney tunes um Fucking whatever it is, you know what I mean. Um, Looney Tunes. It is Looney Tunes. Yeah, I was gonna say. Wait, it is. Uh, and then Warner Brothers predictably sued them, <laughs> and was like, "You can't just do that." And they were like, "Oh shucks, you're right." And so now their mascot is an anatomically correct Roadrunner, um, which is hilarious. So that's the. I need to look it up. Yeah, it's very funny because um, it's so stupid. But yeah, I don't know why they thought they could get away with that, especially in like the late 60s when the college was founded, when Looney Tunes was still an insanely popular show, uh, like at the time. Um, But fucking way to go. Ramapo. That's that's our team. Yeah. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. That's our team, baby. I've also upgraded. So I got so annoyed for anybody who who has been hearing us talking uh, the past couple of weeks or actually watch the youtube uh, channel version of these shows i bought this like really cheap small ring light that has been dying after like 30 minutes plugged in it plugged in and dying and i don't understand how that works it's like the battery isn't it's like the light is expending more energy than it takes in and it's like why would you design a thing like that um so i bought a new one and that it's now illuminating this fucking mug up here um and it, we've been corn i've been talking for a while and it has yet to die so i think i've found my match but i i had i went through two different ring lights in like two weeks and it's more money than i wanted to spend on ring lights but i also couldn't stand <laughs> that fucking thing anymore so. yeah i mean i'm probably about as well lit as i've ever been but that's just because i opened up my curtains and we're now shooting this during the day so. Letting in some daylight. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The good old sun. <laughs> it's tough, you know, that sun. That, that, that app. I was almost <laughs> uh, going to call the sun an asshole, but I feel like that might not be the best thing to do. So, uh, sun, you're the best. Praise the sun. Love you. Don't explode within my lifetime. Just throwing that out there. Oh, we'll here. We're, we're, we're good enough at killing ourselves. Well, yeah. <laughs> Imagine if if scientists just got it like super, super wrong. And it's like, no, it's not going to happen in 80 billion years. It's going to happen like next Wednesday. Oh, yeah, dude. Like it's uh, Mr. Biden, President Biden. Yeah, we were wrong about the sun. It's going to explode like tomorrow. Can we do anything? Is there anything we can do? Okay, nothing. Let's get weird. Just like Biden just takes off the suit, just goes t-shirt. And it's like, all right, I'll fucking see you guys never. 
Elon Musk takes off in his rocket to uh, to Mars. He dies anyway, not realizing Mars isn't far enough away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Would anything serve? Like, if the sun went supernova. I don't think any of the planets would survive. Right, but, like, what if, like, the Hubble Space Telescope, any of, like, our deep space satellites, anything like that, would any of that survive? No, only I realize you're not an astrophysicist, so oh uh, no, you uh, but, have uh, but no please keep asking. Of, of, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm not an astrophysicist, but I'm certainly willing to make guesses. We both have Twitter accounts. We know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not an expert in fucking anything, but I'll sit here and like talk about it. Yeah. Sure. I've never even watched football before, but here I am talking about it. Like I know what I'm saying. Yeah, Corin and I talked about. Um, so March Madness is going on right now because it is March and there is madness. Um, and we were like, should we talk about March Madness? And both of us who have not watched college basketball at all this year, and me who has not watched college basketball at all in my entire life, um, we're both like, no, nah, we probably shouldn't. Um, yeah. Everyone's having a grand old time with the fact that Oral Roberts University, I, I don't know, um, beat. I don't know who the fuck they'd be, but everyone's been making, you know, blowjob jokes, Ohio and that's State. been fun. Oh, they beat Ohio State. The Ohio State. The Ohio State University. Yep. Wow. Oh, fuck Ohio State. I'm uh, into that. Yeah. We don't, we, don't, we don't bang with the Buckeyes here, unless their players get drafted by the Jets, in which case, let's go. <laughs> yeah, you know, Ryan Chazier, Cam Hayward, you know, some, some Steelers players I've gotten over there, alma mater. Yeah, every now and then you can you can put a blind eye towards it. But uh... speaking of alma mater, my guys, Penn State wrestling national championships last night, four for four in the national title bouts, four national champions for Penn State. Still not enough to win the national title as a team, though. So unfortunate. But hey, we still got eight in the last 10 years. No big deal. And that's just the way it is. So. Here, this is something we can talk about. So are you familiar enough with like the wrestling bracket, how that all works for the national title from when we talked about it two years ago now? Uh, I think so, yeah. Basically, 10 weight classes. Um, you know, I, I don't know the exact number. I think it's like 32 wrestlers in a bracket. You know, you get points for each win. You get bonus points for bonus wins, things like that. Iowa clinched the national title before the the championship bouts last night mathematically you know was not possible for penn state to come back and beat them penn state finished with four national champions iowa finished with one but it was mathematically impossible for penn state to come and win a team national title is that based on points it's based on points yeah differential mm mm-hmm and it was a big discussion of like, do we need to review the point system for wrestling? Because that just doesn't seem right. Like that doesn't seem like the proper way to do things where a team can win four national titles individually, you know, four times as many as Iowa, but I would still, Iowa would still win the team title. Yeah. Um, they can go husk corn. Fuck that True. shit. Those fuckers. <laughs> Fucking Iowa. Fucking yeah, Iowa. It's their 24th national championship. Well, way to go. Happy, clappy valley. Um, it's true. There's a lot of the clap in Happy Valley. Yep. I'm not surprised. 
uh, moving on from that very quickly dicey subject, uh, let's talk about another college thing. So we actually, so it's funny because we're sitting here talking about how we don't talk about college sports very often because we don't watch a lot of college sports outside of Corwin's College Football and College uh, Wrestling because Rampo College, D3 school, we didn't have a lot of teams. And honestly, I didn't give a shit. You know, that shit was televised. I don't care. Uh, I had some friends in like the softball teams. So I'll go watch some softball games and I couldn't even really tell you what happened. <laughs> so like <laughs> nothing. Um, so there was softball played. That is the extent of which you can recall. Yeah, some of my buddies and I would just like go to the softball games because uh, we had friends on the team and it's free and outside and we would just like smoke cigars in the outfield and like hang out on a Sunday. It was a great time. (laughs) Uh, Go ahead. Non sequitur. Uh, Went to Cigars International out here in PA. Uh, Very nice. So you went to the Cigars Local? Yeah, I made that (laughs) joke of do they have a Cigars Domestic and just got a from the rest of the people in the car. Yeah, I bet I bet they hate that. Yeah, you should have yeah. said that to the employees. I bet they get that all the time. Um, no, they they the employees that day were not in a great mood. But that is an after the podcast story, if uh, if we remember. Fair, fair. I realize we have chat. I could just write it down. All right. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, there has been there's been a a really like revolutionary level of interest in college baseball on the back of two dudes from the same school. Um, And I think while we often consider baseball, I think especially with highlights that you see on TV or thrown thrown around Twitter, the, the most common thought highlight with baseball oftentimes is hitting home runs, you know, uh, weird, interesting swings, shit like that. And no, this college baseball uh, peaking of interest is coming as a result of pitching. It's coming as a result of two dudes from Vanderbilt University. It's Jack Leiter, son of um, a Hall of Fame player, but I don't think Al Leiter's in the Hall of Fame, nor do I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. But I'm going to look up Al Leiter just to make sure. (laughs) Um, Al Leiter, who I have met and accidentally flipped off once. I'm sorry, Al. Um, And... (laughs) And Kumar Rocker. Have I never told you that? Oh. What? All right. So, for reference, Jack Leiter is from Corin and my hometown area. Um, Jack, so when Corin and I both lived near this baseball academy called Jack Cust Baseball Academy. We've talked about it on the podcast before. It was it's owned by Jack Cust Senior and Junior. Junior being the baseball player, senior being this huge dick of an accountant that owns like half the town um Correct. it's really crazy it's like in lo- in local politics jack cuss is a very divisive figure um in flemington new jersey but anyway um jack lighter would go to jack cuss baseball academy because it's also one of the best baseball academies in the country for baseball and softball um jenny finch was the other jenny co-owner finch. of it yeah uh, gold medal um softball player from obviously like the U S and New Jersey. Uh, so <clears throat> Al obviously would go to watch his kids games. Um, and there was a year that I worked at the concession stand in uh, Jack Cust's uh, uh, ballpark. And I was there at the same time that Al letter was there for one of his kids games. So I, I got a baseball, I got a marker and I went over to Al letter. And I was like, Hey, Al, I'm like a big fan. I remember growing up watching you love hearing you on the Yankees broadcast. Can I get a baseball? Uh, can I get a signature? And he was like, yeah, sure. 
and gave me his injury. He was really, really nice about the whole thing too. Especially since I was like, I really shouldn't be bothering this man during his son's baseball game. Um, but I did. <laughs> so a day or so later, I'm driving on this like little access road between the gym that Jack Cust also owned and the baseball stadium that Jack Cust owned. And so there's Where's this- Josh one- That's true. Um, and there is a one lane bridge and um, I start going down the bridge and this other car just like wasn't paying attention and then had a yield sign and I didn't and like started going and had to like reverse back and I start driving by and I'm just like, I'm like 19 and angry and I flip the guy off and I look in the window, it's Al Leiter. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. And he's looking at me like, like, fuck, why? Like, it's a small mistake, which it was. I was wrong for being that mad about it. Um, and yeah, and I've never forgotten that. So sorry, oh, Al. Can we get him on the pod and tell him this story? I, I mean, if we get him on the pod, I'll tell him anything. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So I, that's my story of accidentally once flipping off Al Leiter. And that's my other story of seeing Jack Leiter play baseball when he was like 12, maybe. I don't know. Uh, young. If you were 19. Yeah, no, he probably was like around that age. Yeah, it might have even been because I don't know what year he is in school. Actually, I have his baseball reference page open right now. Uh, he's sophomore? 21 this season. So Not a sophomore. No, uh so if I was 19, I was seven years ago. So it would have been 14. Hmm. No big sure. deal. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker uh, have been just dominating, uh, not just Pitching Ninja, who is a very well-known baseball Twitter account, who obviously puts up a lot of videos about pitching, and I think is in a real service to the baseball fan community and showing um, via overlays and uh design and sequencing kind of how pitching works from a setup mechanical and uh, mental process. So it's, it's not just been dominating that sector, which is a very lighthearted and fun Twitter account. It's also like, you're seeing a lot of, obviously no one likes Barstool, but the Barstool guys getting into it is a signifier that it is hitting mainstream. And so you're seeing a lot of Barstool guys now also starting to make comments about that. In addition to just more like pop baseball accounts and, and, you know, small time baseball accounts kind of getting in on the fun. So we thought it'd be interesting to just kind of talk about where they're at. Um, Cause it's ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. Um, how good these two dudes have been, um, especially on a team that is, where do you think um, Vanderbilt's ranked? Number one. Last I checked, they were ranked seventh. That's insanity. Hold on, yeah. College baseball rankings. Let's see. Okay, no, now they're number two behind Arkansas. Not a huge surprise that Arkansas is up there. Um, I will say that's crazy to me that they wouldn't be higher, uh, that they wouldn't be number one with how dominant they're two pitchers are yeah so, arkansas you know, college sorry. baseball if uh if you don't know it's very 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 common that you have just two starting pitchers your rotation is two guys um because they play two games a week it's not the same you know 162 game schedule they don't play every single day 
they have you know a Friday game, they have a Saturday game. You have two starting pitchers, um, you know, and this is very similar of a scenario to UCLA back in twenty. I'll just say twenty ten when they had uh, Garrett Cole as their Friday guy and uh, Trevor, Bauer. Trevor Bauer as their. Uh, actually, it might have been switched. I think Trevor Bauer might have been the Friday. It doesn't matter. It, but they had those two guys, and they were fucking dominant. Yeah. So, actually, real quick. Um. So. Uh, the NCAA website updated on March fourteenth has them at number two. The Baseball America website, which was updated on March fifteenth, has them at three. Behind Arkansas, still at one, and then Mississippi State at two. Um, regardless, kind of confusing mm-hmm. as to how that works. Um, but whatever. Yeah, it's just interesting because, like, I don't know anybody on any college baseball team except for like these two guys. Um, and right. that really. So obviously, for one, that's what you want out of your college baseball team. Um, you want mm-hmm. national recognition of how fucking good your goddamn players are. Um, but this is this also fits a little bit into kind of what we've been wanting, what we've been talking about as as a way for baseball to get bigger for the last uh, since the podcast started, which is, you know, you got to develop an interest with the younger crowd. And obviously college baseball is a thing that's been happening forever, but the fact that there's getting, there's so much attention on college ball right now, I think is nothing but great for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, because this level of, of recognition for younger dudes, uh, especially with baseball, which is traditionally such an older person sport, you know, you see a lot of guys, you know, hitting their, hitting their peak or getting their first big contract or getting a lot of attention, you know, when they're in their late twenties, early thirties, look at Aaron judge. Um, Whereas, you know, these are guys getting their recognition at like 21. Uh, it's, it's nice. It's so nice to see. Um, just such a good point for the game. Absolutely. Yeah, both 21. All right, so let's, let's just look at their stats pages just to, just to gawk a little bit because it's fucking ridiculous. Um, so let's start with Jack. Jack Leiter. Um, so far this season, he has pitched in four games. He has won all four of them. He has an ERA of zero four five. Um, he has pitched twenty innings thus far. Well, actually, is this up to date? Actually, no. Sorry, this is missing one start. So I'm going to start from the big beginning because his ERA is lower. So he's pitching five games. He has an he has gone was one all five. He has a an ERA of zero three one. Um, he has gone. Uh, five appearances, five games started, one complete game shutout. He just had a no-hitter the other day. And the only reason it was a no-hitter and not a perfect game is because he walked the first batter. Perfect game after uh, that. Which is in absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah, fucking ridiculous. So, 29 innings pitched. He has allowed seven hits, two two runs, one earned, 11 walks and 49 strikeouts. He has allowed no doubles, no triples, no home runs, a batting average against of 0.76. But he's hit three batsmen. Uh yes, he has uh, he's zero wild pitches, three hit batters, one bulk. Um SFA and SHA sacrifice fly allowed and sacrifice hit allowed if I recall correctly. 
Um, neither of which are very interesting stats. But uh, yeah, my God, this is uh, just ridiculous. That's about as dominant as you can get. Really, really dominant. Hey, I mean, if you came up to me and said, hey, this guy, you know, he's a pitcher. I can't tell you much about him. All I can say is that his, you know, opponent batting average is over double his ERA. I would say that sounds mathematically impossible. Actually, no, it's not because I can't do fucking math. Fuck me. Never mind. I am stupid. Carry the zero. Don't be so hard on yourself, buddy. No, it's okay. Numbers are hard. Yeah. So if we look at, let's look at the part of the command aspect of it. Um, The walks. So he has 11 walks so far this season. Um, In 29 innings, that is good for a walks uh, per nine of 3.41. That's really fucking good. I mean, that's better than his dad's entire career. Um, Al Leiter, who's a yeah, very, very good pitcher. Al Leiter, two-time All-Star, two-time World Series winner. Um, his lifetime walks per nine is 4.4. That's an entire walk per nine less um, than his than his father. That's really, really good. Um, let, let's, uh, let's look up a modern-day pitcher. Let's see where, I don't know, Garrett Cole's at. Um, just out of curiosity. Oh yeah, just casually like top three. All right, you're right. Baseball. You're right. Give me, give me a, give me a non-ace <laughs> pitcher. Um, Carlos Carrasco. Sure, Carlos yeah, Carrasco. About as random of a pitcher as I can think of. Cookie. All right, let's see. Cookie Carrasco uh, last season had a walks per nine of three point six. So it's zero point two walks per nine higher than um than jack lighter now different levels of competition for sure very small sample size with jack lighter obviously but the fact that you can even translate some of the stats towards a major league level coupled with the other ridiculous stats that he's he's kind of chucking out there is insane especially when it's something like walks which obviously have their detriment to pitching but if it's the only real knock against you it's not the worst thing because it depends on how it presents if it's coupled with a fuck ton of strikeouts bad contact all these other things that show that your movement is otherwise very very effective for you and it's not just i'm out of the zone and then when i'm in the zone i'm getting fucking hammered if it's not that it's really it's, I, don't, I hate to say it's like not a big deal, but it's, it's you, you take it and that's the thing you work on because the rest of your arsenal is working exactly as intended. It's generating swings and misses. It's generating strikeouts and it's generating poor contact. And we can get all that based on the fact that he hasn't allowed an extra base hit all season and he's only allowed seven hits all season. So, I mean, it's just, it's just fucking insane. Yeah, I mean, what's that whip? I mean, 29 innings, 18. That's a fucking .62. That's really, really good. In case you were wondering, you know, no big deal. What was like Jacob DeGrom's whip last year? 
Uh, I have that up actually because we're planning on talking about Jacob Degrom right. a little bit. Uh, last year, Jacob Degrom's WHIP was nine five six. Wow, so he's thirty percent better than Jacob Degrom. Take that to the bank. That math is just linear in correlation. <laughs> we can extrapolate this out over the course of 165 innings, no problem. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Especially against MLB talent and not the SEC. There you fucking go, baby. Uh, what do you think the, the single season whip record is in baseball? Zero. I don't Ooh. think it's zero. This is actually Something a slightly fascinating higher. list. This is a truly fascinating list. Um, you will know um, four out of five names in the top five. And okay. two of them, two of the top five names are active players. Wow. In single um, season whip. Not single career. season whip. Single season. Okay. Um, ooh. Uh, I'll say Shane Bieber. No. Fuck. Then I don't know. Okay. So the number one, the greatest whip season of all time is 2000 Pedro Martinez, which makes a lot of sense. 7373. That's a stupid whip. That is a stupid whip. Whoa. Yeah. Number two, active player. And it just happened last year. And somehow we didn't realize this, but it's the second greatest season by whip of all time. Okay. Would you like to guess? Uh, Lucas it's, Giolito. No. Uh, and that's a phenomenal guess. It's a player I genuinely would never have thought of. Kenta Maeda. No fucking shit. Okay. Yeah. Seven, five. With the flat. twins? With with the twins, and this has been a talking point that P- Kenta Maeda is a criminally underrated pitcher because he was so overshadowed in the Dodgers rotation when he was with them, and now he's. I don't want to say the Twins are like a stepbrother team, but they're not a nationally recognized team, and they have so many holes in pitching, and they are underachieved since they kind of got good. That I think maybe it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, but Kenta Maeda is a phenomenal pitcher, and yeah, that's. That's fucking ridiculous. Seven five, even if it, even in a shortened season, I don't care. Even in a shortened season, seven fives. If because if that was the case, everybody would have done this. Um, wow, that's fucking wild. Uh, number three is a name I have no idea, and it's Guy Hecker in eighteen eighty two. Uh, sure. Guy Hecker, who has a triple crown, a batting title, an ERA title, and thirty seven point three WAR. Um, let's put him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, sure. Okay, hold on, hold on. Guy Hecker, ERA plus by season. 191, 89, 171, 149, 126, 105, and then 89, 68, 65. Really fell off there at the end. Um, finishing his career with the Pittsburgh Alleghenies after spending the rest of it with the Louisville Cardinals. So that's his ERA, um, ERA plus. His um, OPS plus by season... 124, 110, 146, 96, 161, 126, 87, 104, and 84. He was a true two-way player in wow. 1886 or in the 1880s. That's really, really impressive. It actually kind of is because even though it's a era where baseball made no sense, 
you still don't see that necessarily, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Anyway, uh, number four is another old pitcher. Um, Walter Johnson, his 1913 season, uh, 7803. And then number five, another active player who also just did this last season, Cy Young winner. Any guesses? No. Trevor Bauer. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, nah, seven, nine, four, five. The only, all five pitchers below an eight whip. The only five pitchers below an eight whip in a single season. So what we're saying is Jack Ladder's officially going to be the best pitcher of all time. Yeah, it's going to be, and it's going to be interesting additionally because there's basically no way these two dudes end up on the same team because they're the same age, which means that they're very likely to accept being drafted around the same time. Either so, the, for anyone un, unaware, where the MLB draft works is you don't have to accept; you can just stay in school um, and then be drafted again later. Um, even if you like weren't in school and you just like weren't happy with like where you got drafted, you can just mm-hmm. not accept and then just get drafted later. Uh, like I believe Aaron Judge got drafted the first time in like the. 26th round or some shit and then was like i'm like not gonna take that signing bonus and terrible amount of money and gambled on himself for another year and then got drafted in the first round um yeah jack Leiter got drafted in 2019 by the new york yankees in the 20th round him not accepting accepting kind of a good decision looking back yeah, and then Kumar Rocker was also drafted in the 2018 draft by the Colorado Rockies in the 38th round. Um, so, obviously, okay. good decision. Yeah, that that's 2020, but you really know, really good. <laughs> as the uh, yeah. although you got to admit, Kumar Rocker being on the Rockies there. would be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, draft order because I know the Pirates have number one, obviously. <laughs> Because they're going to waste it, um, or at least trade him away in four years when they have to pay him. Cool. My internet's just deciding not to load any pages, so we can continue, and I can come back to this. But yeah, so it'll it'll be interesting to see kind of how that aspect of it shakes out for them. Because this, I mean, these two dudes are ridiculous, and we haven't even finished really talking about Jack Letter. So the idea of him throwing this complete game, um, this no hitter the other day. It's one of those things that doesn't matter. Oh boy, howdy, does it not really matter? But it usually, usually, I should say, in this instance, it kind of does because usually a lot of no hitters come with luck. All no hitters come with luck. Um, and you'll see dudes who shouldn't throw no hitters. Homer Bailey has, I think, two or three no hitters. Homer Bailey is. Right. I'm not uh, even sure. An still incredibly in disproportionate. Let's find out. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> comparative to talent, a very disproportionate number of no hitters compared to people who are very much so better than him. Um, but at the same time, like with the with the level of dominance Jack Leiter has shown throughout his four previous starts, heading into the one where he threw his com- his complete game no hitter, um, it's it it just leaves you mouth agape wondering what else the man can possibly accomplish in a season because this it's built on the back so much on the back of just raw talent and the idea that like you know throwing nine innings 
is fucking hard. Not just avoiding the hits for nine innings, but also throwing throwing nine innings worth of pitches. I mean, that's that's a challenge. And you know, I'm I'm not trying to like say like that's what shows him as being major league ready or any of this necessarily shows him as being major league ready in an individual sense. But stepping back and looking at it all, I mean, obviously the dude's going to spend maybe some time in the minors, but like we saw, fuck man, th- this might be the, f- the first guy since I think Chris, no, we just had a guy recently who did it too, but um, another one of the recent examples of dudes who get drafted in the summer and then like make their debut in spring or in, uh, in, in fall. Chris sale did it with the white Sox where he got drafted in June and then started pitching with the white Sox in like September. Um, and then somebody else did this recently. I forget. see Mize was fairly quick. I don't know if he if it was the same year though. Yeah, that's um, true. I'm not sure, but um, but both these guys are making cases for why they could do it, and that's awesome. That's just so cool to see. Um, so so just to uh, to come back before we move on. Uh, the Rangers have the number two overall pick. Detroit Tigers with number three. Red Sox four. And the Orioles have number five. Look at that, Orioles. You're getting slightly better. Also, Homer Bailey, uh, still a free agent. What? No way. <laughs> Someone uh, didn't so- want that? Casey Mize was the 2018 first overall pick. He didn't debut until last year. Uh, Dansby Swanson, maybe. I'm trying to think of when all these guys debuted. Um, yeah, I don't. I can't. I can't tell off the top of my head. All right. Let's see. Hold on one second. Um, 2016 was when uh, Dan P. Swanson made his debut. How many pitches do you think Jack Leiter threw in his complete game? No hitter. Nine innings or seven? Nine innings. Uh, 96. 124. Wow. Yeah. Wow. One walk, That's 16 great. strikeouts. Which means he Crazy. had 27 at-bats and 27 outs. He faced, though, 28 batters. Oh, just fucking ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. 12, sorry, eight foul outs, three, sorry, eight fly outs, three ground outs. Fucking ridiculous. The entire South Carolina team threw 161 pitches. It took Brandon... Ooh. Sorry, not Brandon, Brandon Jordan, the starting pitcher of South Carolina, 98 pinnings, 98 pitches to get through five innings. Took Jack Later 124 to get through all nine of them. It's fucking nuts, man. Jesus. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, really fucking good at producing number one overall picks. I mean, one of Kumar Rock or Jack Later is going to be the pick this year. Um, they had Dansby Swanson in 2015. They had David Price back in 2000, what was that, 2007. Uh, that's really fucking good to have essentially four number one overall picks or guys who could be, you know, one of Jack Leiter or Kumar Rockers going number one this year. The other one would be number one in, in just about any other year. 
uh, except for, you know, s- real special drafts. So Vanderbilt, good on you, man. Really producing some fucking top end major league talent. And Dansby Swanson. Yeah, I uh, I saw that they are. Um, I think they've had. I think the, the actual number is five. I saw a tweet, which you know means it's true. Uh, of course. <laughs> that Vanderbilt University is now like top three in the uh, schools that have produced number one overall picks by count. Um, I think it's them, ASU, who had six. And then there was one other team, I want to say maybe it was Mississippi, that also had five. But the they thing about Vanderbilt, who? Uh, Spencer Torkelson went to Arizona State. Okay, gotcha. Because, um, but, but, what? Uh, I was just scrolling through the list of top overall picks. In 1981, Oral Roberts University had the first overall pick. Mike Moore, right-handed pitcher to the Mariners. Ah, yes, point- Moore, Oral Robertson. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the wild part about that was like ASU's first overall pick, I think, came in like 1956, and Vanderbilt's first overall pick came in 2007. So it's like, like they are producing talent at a ridiculous rate. Um, I mean, it's 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 just fucking nuts. So let's uh let's talk about Kumar Rocker, who I guess um when would he have had his most recent start? Uh, probably the day before, day after. Uh, yeah, letters. yeah, day before. I have it here. Um, anyway, so his season stats thus far. Uh, he has also appeared in five games. He has started all five. Um, he has pitched 31 innings. So despite Jack Leiter's complete game uh, last night, Kumar Rocker still ahead of him by two innings pitch. Got to catch up to that shit, Jack. Um, he has an ERA of zero five eight, having allowed three runs so far this season. Only two of them earned. He has allowed eleven hits and ten walks, uh, as opposed to his teammate Jack. He has allowed six doubles, but also no triples, also no home runs. And his batting average against is one oh nine. He has had one wild pitch, one hit batter, two balks. Um, no sacrifice flies and one sacrifice hit against, um, just disgusting. Dominant numbers. His most recent outing, he pitched eight innings. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, 116 pitches. He allowed three hits, two runs, both earned two walks, 14 strikeouts, um, four, uh, fly outs and five ground outs. Oh my god! Like these guys are just disgusting. This is ridiculous. The ERA numbers themselves are are crazy to begin with. Just I mean, point three, point five eight. Like it's stupid numbers. The strikeouts as well are unbelievable. That's the thing that that really crazy. sticks out because like you know you can look at the ERA. Oh, I know I didn't read the strikeout numbers for either of them. I skipped right by him in the box score. Uh Jack Leder 49 strikeouts so far this season. Um and Kumar Rocker 48 strikeouts so far this season. Um so Jack Leder has uh 20 more strikeouts than he does innings pitched and Kumar Rocker has a f- uh 17 more strikeouts than he does innings pitched. I'll get you those um strikeout per nine numbers in a second as I do the the schmath on it. Um Hold on one second. 
so that's a 15.2 strikeouts per nine for Jack Leiter. Uh, gross. <laughs> and that is uh, 13.9 strikeouts per nine for um, Kumar Rocker. Gross. That is so good. That is so ridiculously good. Um, and that's a thing. Like Corwin was saying, like, you know, you can almost look at the ERA number and be like, oh, I mean, this is college. Like, what does any of it matter? Um, it's really hard to do that with strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Because you've either there's a level of deception and movement and talent in it that just isn't chance um, or isn't the poor talent of your opponent that maybe ERA can sometimes absorb because it's, it's in a lot of ways, a team stat um, and not a perfect indicator of what you've been doing, um, which is why ERA is not really relied upon as a predictive stat. When you look at um projections it's it's relied upon as a past performance stat in a very surface level conversational way and not so much an analytical way um again strikeouts though that means that you are pitching in the zone and not getting hit or you're pitching out of the zone and getting swings and misses and both of those things are hard to do even against you know weaker talent in college the idea that a hitter gets to a D one school means that they have an ability to put bat to ball, whatever that ability looks like. And the idea that you are fooling these dudes at such ridiculous rates is, is, I, I mean, it's, it's just beyond comprehension for, especially for dudes, just, just this young and so talented. It's so cool to see. I just, uh, I moved my laptop and just fucking destroyed my screen. I'm sorry, buddy. No. Are you oh, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's fucked. Okay. All right. No, <laughs> we're fun. Okay. Oh, I love to hear it. Love oh, to hear God. It. I take such good care of my things, but my laptops have just been... They've been going through some shit these uh, past couple of years. I understand, buddy. It's okay. Yikes. Yeah. Um. Fuck. Sorry. I got. I got. I was looking at the stats of the of the Vanderbilt pitching. It's it's disgusting. Oh my god. Um. Okay. We talked about both. If you have anything you want to add to Kumar Rocker's discussion, please feel free. But. I have a transition if you are ready. Well, the only other thing I'd like to say about Kumar Rocker is it's also great. We we mentioned him very briefly when we talked with Randy Wilkins a few episodes ago because it's nice to see uh, more kids of color getting, especially black kids, getting uh, national attention and, you know, just being good at baseball and getting to be a face of, of, of a next generation of players. Um, and that's the other really cool thing about seeing – um, these two dudes do it is that the conversation is, is very much so around their talent because they're great guys. And then you also get to have um, something that looks more like what baseball should look like going forward. Um, mm-hmm. Cause there's just, there's just, just not a lot of, you know, black pitchers anymore. Like there used to be where it was such a position that you would see so many great black ball players be in. And this, the idea that you get to see Kumar rocker be there um, or just be, cool it, it would just be cool i i just want him to be um so successful but Absolutely. anyway give me your tra- hit me with that transition you are the pittsburgh pirates gm oh god 
<laughs> you have the first overall pick. You have to decide between Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. Who are you going? Oh, um, that's a great question. Hold on one second. Let me look at their other years in college. Just, I'm not going to take in any other big other information, just the, that, those other stats. Okay. Fuck. Fuck, that's a great question. And it's, it's a great question because there's literally no wrong answer. I would probably take like Kumar pitching. Rocker. Okay. Uh, for no real reason other than he has one additional season pitching at Vanderbilt. I, I only see two seasons for Jack Leiter, including this one. And Rocker has three. So I could make an argument in my head that the additional season of just playing at, at whatever level you want to consider college ball is has some value that might be conceived of as an edge because even last year's stats, these two dudes are so similar, you know, this so far this season, they're both sub one ERAs last season in 2020, um, Jack Leiter ERA one, seven, two rocker ERA one, eight, you know, I I mean, and you go across the board and obviously I just said ERA is not like the world's greatest stat for comparison, but you go across the board and all their stats are lined up relatively close. Um, So that's that's the advantage I have, mm-hmm. um, I guess. How about you? I think I'd go Jack Leiter. I think based off of what I've seen other analysts say and other guys come out and say, I think, uh, well, not I think, they think that his stuff, his pitch combinations is just a little deeper than what Kumar or at least a little bit better fit for you know the transition into the majors than Kumar Rocker um I will say everything I've seen of Kumar Rocker off the field uh off the mounds you know interaction with fans interactions with those around him makes him seem like an absolute you know perfect guy to be the face of a franchise the perfect guy you would want representing your team and you know I don't know much about Jack Leiter in that respect uh, so that would definitely be a consideration. Um, now, being the Pirates, knowing I'm going to trade him, it doesn't fucking matter what his value is, you know, off the field because we're not going to utilize that, you know, down the road for the rest of his career like they should. But also to be contrary, and I'll go Jack Leiter. And again, there's no wrong answer here. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's just so. Fu- God, I mean, we're, we're living in, in a world where, you know, Vanderbilt's baseball team could very realistically have the number one and number two overall pick in the draft. Which is fucking stupid. That's, that's fucking ridiculous. That's so God for any sport. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's just not a thing that happens. And obviously it hasn't happened yet, but like it sure does look like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It would be surprising if it didn't. I mean, I know there's other prospects out there that may fit, you know, the Rangers team better. But at the end of the day, they'd be stupid not to take one of these two guys that are looking like the next Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer combination. Especially when 
as we've talked about so much on the show, like pitching's the good front end rotation pitching is the hardest thing to come by in baseball. Mm-hmm. It is the most difficult. That's why baseball. That's why pitchers get the uh, the highest contracts with the best term. I, I mean, they and why they get traded for the most value prospects. I, I, front end pitching, a fucking number two pitcher, is it is the hardest thing to come by in the sport of baseball. Absolutely. And so, if you're the Rangers and you're so bad that a front end starter isn't going to help you out immediately. You don't care because even if you're shit in four years, when arbitration starts getting expensive and you don't want to hang on to him, you trade that guy for a fortune and make your team better. You take, you take that guy, you take the pitcher every time. What's up. Um, I'm looking. So I wanted to see if how long it's been since uh, not even how long, but the Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer year when they were both drafted, how close they were to being number one and number two taken. Right. Um, Garrett Cole obviously taken number one overall to the Pittsburgh Pirates. We saw how that ended up. Uh, Danny Holtzman went number two to the Mariners. Classic Danny Holtzman. Yeah, of course. You know, all star point two career war. No big deal. Uh, Trevor Bauer went three to the Diamondbacks. Yes. Um. Followed up by Dylan Bundy going number four. Anthony okay. Rendon went six. Who Francis, went five? Uh, Bubba Starling. <laughs> Negative 1.5 career. Not war. enough Bubbas. We need more Bubbas Not in baseball. Bubbas. Francisco Lindor went eight to the Indians. Javier Baez went nine. George Springer at 11. Brandon Nemo at 13. Jose Fernandez at 14. Sonny Gray at 18. Colton Wong at 22. Wow, that was a hell of a that first was a star studded first round. Yeah, absolutely. that's a hell of a first round. God I'm damn. I'm going to sort by career war to see if there's anybody else that uh, was missed. Um, Trevor Story went 45 overall to the Rockies. Jackie Bradley Jr. went 40th to the Red Sox. Um, Colton Wong, Blake Snell, 52 to the Rays. Michael Fulmer, 44 to the Mets. This is a this is a really really good uh, draft. Archie Bradley, Joe Panic, Tyler Anderson, Joe Musgrove, Joe Ross, Matt Barnes. Great great draft. Right on. That is that is a hell of a draft. Nobody cares about. All right. So that's that. That's just a quick thing on Vanderbilt's baseball team. I might have to start finding ways to watch those games. Um, I'm like mad that I didn't start that search last week and watch this complete game. No hitter. Um, but, oh, well, I'll save the, my anger for later. Um, but yeah, cause that's just, that's just ridiculous. I want to see it. I'm excited for the future of both these two dudes. Um, is there anybody on the hitting side worth shouting out? Who's got a, who's got something fun. Not that I know of. Uh, uh, shout outs to Tate Colwick and his team leading five home runs. Please tell me he went to a private school. Um, Tate Colwick. Let's find out. Um, uh, well, he's white. That's not a surprise. No, I don't think anyone here would have argued. Hometown of Memphis. His high school is Arlington. I don't know. 
Let's see. Let's see. Let's go. Product of Arlington High School in Tennessee. Kumar Rocker, Jordan Lawler as well. Um, yeah, it's he doesn't a give any school. breakdown. Whatever, doesn't matter. Um, uh, and shout outs to uh, Isaiah Thomas and his team leading 683 slugging percent out of the starters. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. All right. James cool. Wood, the actor, is coming out of uh, you know retirement to uh, start a baseball career. So let's let's hear for James Woods. James Wood, excuse me. James Wood can eat butt. Um, all right. So let's move this into a conversation about um, Jacob Degrom because another thing that had been had been poking around baseball Twitter is the conversation of is if Jacob DeGrom retired today, is he a hall of famer slash what would it take? How many more years of this type of production would it take for Jacob DeGrom to be a hall of famer as it stands today? Jacob DeGrom 38.1 career war 70 wins and 51 losses, which has been a constant discussion amongst, um, Jacob DeGrom's years of baseball service because the Mets, as much as they always suck, seem to suck so much harder when he plays um, for no good reason. Uh, he has pitched in 183 games. He's been the starter in all of them. He has pitched 1,169.2 innings. He has 1,359 strikeouts, a career whip of 1047 two-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year, ERA title, and sorry, two-time Cy Young, three-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year, ERA title. Um, came in third place in Cy Young voting this past season, eighth place in 2017, and also received votes to get to seventh place in 2015. Those are also All-Star years for him. The only year he got no Cy Young nor Rookie of the Year votes it was 2016 um, when he still had a 304 ERA, which is just hilarious. That's like mm-hmm. the only year he didn't get votes. Um, so Corwin, Heller, Sir, that's Tell me. me your impression about um, where Jacob DeGrom stands in the Hall of Fame discussion. I think if we have the discussion of will Jacob DeGrom go to the Hall of Fame, I think everyone in the world, everyone who watches baseball, everyone who is familiar with the name Jacob DeGrom would say, yes, absolutely. He is no doubt on that pace. Looking at his career numbers now, if he were to retire today – you know, under his own accord, I would say no. I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Famer right now. Um, I mean, he has – oh, God, the page just disappeared like an ass. Uh, I mean, he's pitched seven seasons. He's been phenomenal in all of them, but I just don't think, you know, career numbers of 38 war, 70 and 51, career 2.6 ERA, as great as – his individual performance numbers are. I just don't think he has the career longevity right now to be a, a Hall of Fame guy. I think if he, I think he just needs to get to nine seasons. Nine seasons at this pace would put him in the Hall of Fame for me. I think right now, seven years is just too small of a sample size to say Hall of Fame. 
unequivocally unequivocal word yep yep yeah and that's part of it's part of why they look at uh they being the the voting bodies at at hand is um the seven-year peak so first off as it stands today jacob degrom not eligible for the hall of fame um you must play 10 seasons um barring any special exemptions you must play 10 seasons and he is at seven so he wouldn't even get considered um which you know makes sense I think he uh, gets some exceptions though if he were to retire now. I, I think don't see they, why. I could see them looking at that and saying, okay, we'll at least put this on the table for discussion. I don't I mean, think if, sure if he retired now, it, but... yeah, I don't think there's any way that they would just cast that off and say, no, didn't get 10 seasons. We're not going to table it. I, I, I think they would. And it's because. As goofy as it sounds for, because we talk about how Hall of Fame is weird because you kind of need some of the counting stats. It's part of the accumulation and longevity of being good is part of what gets you into the Hall of Fame. And while that really doesn't matter for individual seasons or team construction or really like anything else it's kind of the point of the hall of fame is to celebrate people who have had these careers and part of celebrating careers is celebrating hitting milestones um and i'm just not sure jacob de really has any of the milestones that would really get him in the hall of fame and that's part of the problem um so if we look at uh Players who are in the Hall of Fame today, pitchers specifically who are in the Hall of Fame today, mm-hmm. the only like modern era pitcher that I see with under 2,000 innings pitched, actually, I'm not sure I see. Yeah, actually, sorry, scratch that. I don't see a modern era pitcher with under 2,000 innings pitched that was a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, barring Satchel Paige, who obviously got exceptions because he had played his entire career in the Negro Leagues. And so he has the fewest major league baseball innings pitched of anybody, anybody in the Hall of Fame at 476. But again, there's a reason for that. And he still pitched 2000 innings in his career. Yeah, yeah, well, more than that. He, he pitched he pitched set 476 innings from 1948 to 1965. Like, it's ridiculous. Um Anyway, uh, the people with below 2,000 innings in ascending order, uh, Bruce Sutter, uh, who is a closer. He got 300 saves in his career. Trevor Hoffman, who was a closer, 601 saves in his career. Babe Ruth, who was a starting pitcher for a while and then became a left fielder. Um, So left fielder? Yeah, I think so. It might be right fielder, but I'm just going to say left fielder because I already said it and now I'm moving on. Um, uh, so he didn't get in on the back of his pitching. He's just also, ha- he's a, a world's like greatest hitter that also happens to have 1200 innings pitch. No big deal. Um, no biggie. Mariano Rivera closer, 652 saves, um, 1283 innings pitch. So it's fucking stupid. Lee Smith, who was a closer, 478 saves. Hank O'Day, who was a starter, but also pitched from, uh, 1884 to 1890. So we can go ahead and ignore Hank O'Day. 
uh, Raleigh Fingers, who was a reliever, 341 saves. Goose Gossage, who was a reliever, 310 saves. And Dizzy Dean, who was a relief, uh, I guess both a starter and a reliever. Um, since he has 154 complete games and also 31 saves, um, he pitched from 1930 to 1947. We've talked about Dizzy Dean before, um, his weird-ass career. And outside of that, those are the only guys with under 2,000 innings pitched that are in the Hall of Fame. And almost all of all of them are either relievers or pitched at a very old and odd point in baseball where their careers don't exactly count for this discussion. Um, you have to get to Sandy Koufax to get to the most modern, like, you know, a quote-unquote modern era pitcher. Um, and he still has 2,324.1 innings pitched. And he was an exception um, because of how high his peak was. Because if you look at Sandy Koufax by war, as we've done before, 48.9. And he's ended up retiring in what a lot of people would have considered the prime of his career, retiring after his age 30 season. Um, but by that point, I mean, if you look at his baseball reference page, it's the stupidest looking thing in the world. Those, those, especially those last uh Six years uh, in the in, in in his total last seven years, his last six seasons, he led in uh, all of baseball in FIP every single year. Every single year, I mean, he was ridiculous. It was it was a stupid, stupid career, um, and that's what's so dumb about having these types of conversations because it's like it leads you to saying, all right, Jacob DeGrom is having a great year or a great career, but was he Sandy Koufax? And those two dudes played 60 years apart, 70 years apart, almost <laughs> like it's, 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 it's a dumb conversation to have. Um, but that's what the hall of fame is. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, I don't know. Like if Jacob DeGrom could get to 2000 innings, because I think we're reaching a point where Hall of Fame voters are stopping caring about wins as well they should because wins are stupid. Um, but I think if he, get to, if he could get to 2,000 innings and maintain some semblance of what he's been doing for the past three or four seasons, I would say probably. I think if he gets close, if he gets to 1,800 innings, Hall of Fame. If he gets to 2,000, almost guaranteed. Um, I mean, obviously that's a difference of like a season. Uh, so it's not a huge deal overall. Um, but I think he, I think the fact that he came into the league older, I think the fact that he's been dominant from essentially day one, you know, ever since his rookie season, he's been a, a dominant pitcher and he's been the nearly undisputed number one pitcher in all of baseball for the past three, four seasons. Um, you know, I think when the discussion is had, they will absolutely, voters will absolutely remember that he played for the Mets. He started much older than, you know, most prospects do. He was this dominant top overall pitcher for significant amount of, for a significant amount of time. I think it'll be very, very favorable for him, uh, all things considered. So, I definitely, definitely think he will get there, and I don't think he needs to hit some of the typical major milestones to do so. I just, you know, at the end of the day, he's not there yet. 
Yeah, and and speaking on the milestones, and especially what you said about him getting near 2,000 innings pitch, even if he doesn't cross it, we're at a point in time where we're seeing, I mean, universally, like every season, the number of innings a starting pitcher pitches go down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, even just five to ten years ago, it'd be you know it'd be it's really common to see pitchers go seven innings, sometimes eight. You know. Whereas today, like seeing a pitcher go seven innings, it's not that it's uncommon. It's just like, oh, that's interesting. Like, like wow, that was a really good outing. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like Jordan Montgomery, who's the like fifth star, fifth, sixth starter for the Yankees. That's a guy you expect to just go five. And the mm-hmm. fact that you have any starting pitchers that you just expect to go five is weird as a, if you look back as to the history of starting pitching. And at some point, We've made, we've, you know, we've chiseled away at the importance of wins. That's awesome because wins are stupid. Um, and while innings pitched isn't stupid like wins, it's also going to change the way wins has because starting pitchers are just asked to do less. And even if your top end guys like, you know, Scherzer or DeGrom or Cole or whatever um, aren't asked to do less, the idea of the quick hook is still a more prevalent concept that they are inherently going to get pulled sooner than they otherwise would have if they pitched 20 years ago, which is also good, mm-hmm. but it's going to affect the stat sheet. They're going to get less strikeouts. They're going to get fewer innings and I'm pitched. Very, and I'm very concerned about how long it's going to take the committee to make that adjustment with their own biases, their own struggles with adapting to changing baseball. I'm worried some very deserving players are going to get shafted and just get fucked up, get fucked over, excuse me, by the committee just being unable to look at the changing path that baseball is on and and be able to have an unbiased comparison for these players. So just out of curiosity, I want to see. So, so far, Jacob deGrom has pitched uh, 1169.2 innings in his career, which means to get up to um, 2,000 innings, he needs to pitch uh, 100, sorry, 830, 800, 830.1 more innings. Um, let's divide that by nine to just turn that into a, a nine inning or a, a game average. It's 92.23. His strikeouts per nine is 10.5. So let's multiply that shit. So that's an additional 968 strikeouts on top of his total of uh, 1,359, which would put him oh, – I mean, I said it out loud and didn't fucking add it. Way to go, Josh. Uh, at 2,327 strikeouts. And that feels like a good point. 2,000 innings pitched and 2,300 strikeouts. That feels that feels about right. Yeah. I mean, that's basically Koufax. It's 300 fewer innings than Koufax, but the strikeouts are within 70 of each other. That feels fair. I think the conversation is not whether or not he will get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, the conversation about whether he would get in today is merited for sure. Um, looking ahead and projecting, I think the conversation of will he get in is overblown. I think it's obvious that unless he completely falls apart as a player or is so injured that he cannot return to baseball, he will. I think it's okay by the time he retires. 
is he in the conversation of being the best pitcher in all of baseball? Is he in that that Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, you know, just that level, that tier of, of pitcher where you can have that discussion? Um, obviously, we've had bits and pieces of it on the pod a lot in the past, and it's always been tough because arguing between eras is fucking hard. But honestly, I think he's going to get there. Uh, I think he's just been so good for so long and so consistent with it that he keeps it up for the next five, six years. Sure, absolutely. Have that conversation. I would also so love to see him have a Randy Johnson-style career because Randy Johnson debuted when he was 24, which is only two years younger than Jacob DeGrom debuted. And he only pitched four games. His first real season was when he was uh, 25, the 1989 season. Um, because uh, Jacob DeGrom in his first year pitched a, a full season. He pitched 22 games, um, which, you know, isn't like a, a full season, but it's a full season. Um, first start. So, yeah. So, you know, 25 versus 26, that, that that's not very different. The difference is Randy Johnson pitched until he was 45 years old. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, which, and and he was considered a late bloomer too at the time. You know, like he was he was good at the start in Seattle. Then he got really good at the end in Seattle. Then he was a ridiculous pitcher in um, Arizona. And then he you know kind of calmed down after that with the the Yankees and Arizona. I actually have to pay the job. San Francisco. That's right. Totally forgot he retired with San Francisco. Wow. Um, but you know to see Degrom even even. The, the idea that there is a framework of a guy who also came in late and even didn't get off to the same hot start that DeGrom got off to is reassuring because, you know, DeGrom's one of those guys I think everyone kind of wants to see in the Hall of Fame. He's a good dude. Absolutely. He's a great pitcher on a shit team. Um, he's a nice guy. I want do nice you, guys in the Hall of Fame. Do you know anyone who does not like Jacob DeGrom? Like, I don't... There's people that, you know, don't like certain pitchers. I, I, I Like, the Pirates don't like Garrett Cole, whatever. It's a bad example. But, like, DeGrom is just such a universally loved pitcher by everyone. You know, even if you're not a Mets fan, it's like, oh, Jacob DeGrom's the fucking man. He's, he's fantastic. Everyone roots for him. Everyone supports him. Nobody has, you know, any ill will against him. So, absolutely, I'd love to see him reach that point in his career uh yeah there's Everyone's a lot of spiteful yankees fans i know who hate him because they're spiteful um but that's true of all but sports yankees fans don't count as people barely <laughs> yeah you can't rub our two uh two vertebrae together spineless yeah <laughs> anyway um it'll be interesting yeah it's it's not a conversation yet really because he just hasn't been doing it long enough and that's again the tough part about it is like it's on. It seems like it would be a worthwhile conversation at the top, and we just had a full conversation about it. But people on Twitter, you know, he's so good, he's so fucking good, and that's not what the Hall of Fame is like about, really, because it combines being really good with longevity to a pretty severe extent. You know, ten seasons um, is what qualifies you, typically. Um, and that's it, what makes it such a – because, I mean, if this is the NFL, seven years of being phenomenal, yeah, you're probably making the Hall of Fame. Congrats. Yeah. Like, it's not even really that, that hard to think about. But, like, quarterbacks 
I was supposed to say quarterbacks don't play until they're 45. And here we fucking are with Tom Brady, where it's like, it's fucking almost assured he's going to play till 45. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the careers typically are so significantly shorter and, you know, the amount of wear and tear you have at that age is, is so significantly more that um, it, you can't really compare the two to a, that full extent. Right. And I think, I think that's what, what, what's um, hard about it is because, you know, other sports don't have necessarily the same degree of longevity that we, we expect in baseball. Um, but at them, them's the breaks. So, oh, fucking well. Uh, two more things that are a little bit quicker. So I was curious, I was curious about this increasing the size of the bags on um, that they're trying out in, I forget if it was double A AA or triple A, but one of the two. Now we talked about all these various rule changes and the concept behind the increasing of the size of the bag from uh, 15 inches square to 18 inches square is that it artificially reduces the length of the base paths to hopefully increase um, steals or whatever. So thought it might be worth looking at very briefly what those actual differences kind of amount to and how significant or insignificant it, it might be because uh it's not a lot three inches but let's uh especially in terms of running because that, that's the part that really gets me is it's all right so let's break it down like this so the diff- distance between the base paths um, is from the foul lines towards the center of second base. That's that's where your distances are. Um, so it's not hard of the plate to hard of the plate. Well, I guess that is like the heart of second, but it's, it's foul lines to hard of second. So that means that the 90 feet going from the first base bag to the second base bag captures the 15 square inches of the first base bag. So we can take away um, 15 inches right from there. So hold on, actually one second, uh, 90 feet times how many f- inches are in the feet? Okay, there we go. So we go from just so that we're all on the same page with, uh, with units here. Um, so that, that 90 feet is 1,080 inches. So let's take away 15 from that. And we're at 1,065 inches. Now, you also don't need to get to the heart of second base. It's a little bit tough because second base is squared off, whereas the path to get to it is an angle. So it depends on where you touch the bag. But let's just go ahead and say we can eliminate half of that 15 inches to get us down to the loosely speaking edge of the bag because I really don't feel like doing geometry. Um, (laughs) That is not what this podcast is about. I really sucked at pre-calc. So... I was great at calc. I just was not good at free calc. So let's take our 165 and let's subtract half of 15. And that brings us to uh, 1,057.5 total inches of uh, room that you actually have to run. If we factor in, um, I look up the average leadoff from first and most players are somewhere between six feet and 10 feet. So we just take it, you know, Easy average of that, call it uh, eight feet. So, hold on, let me again turn that into inches. That's eight 
times 12. We're looking at a total distance that needs to be run of 961.5 inches. And if we divide that by 12, that's uh, 80.125 feet. That's the total distance that a player actually has to run. So if we take that and we change out just the one trait that is the size of the bag. So instead of subtracting uh, 15 inches from our original total distance of 1,080 inches and instead make that uh, 18 inches, and then also we're going to increase the uh, size of the bag at second, which decreases the total amount of distance that needs to be run. They are going from seven and a half inches of um, space from dead true center of second base to nine inches of, of distance from dead true center of second base. That decreases the total number of inches needing to be run by any guess. Corwin. No. Four inches. No. Math. Four inches. That means that instead of running, that's again, you know, the constant eight feet leadoff from first, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so that means that the total distance you'd have to run with the bases at 15 is 80.125 feet. And with the bases at 18 inches, uh, 79.75 feet. You could do a lot with four inches. Well, what I'm curious about, so, because uh, if we look at if we look at um, fastest sprint speeds in in right. MLB, all right, and you know what, let's mm -hmm. even let's even bring it down. Let, let, let's really round it down. Let's call it the original, you know, uh, OG base eighty feet, and we'll call base size prime 75 feet um which is like way way less uh of distance than it actually is but let's just call it that um the difference between uh uh roman quinn who is apparently the fastest player in baseball i don't know who he is um he for anyone who does or, or anyone else who doesn't he is the uh lefty batting center fielder from philadelphia uh Still don't know. Sure. Right? Like, I have no fucking clue who this guy is. Um, he is 27. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> um, his 80 feet sprint speed or, uh, or total length of uh, sprint time. There we go. Is three sec, 3.35 seconds. His 75 foot sprint time is 3.19 seconds, which means that even if there was a seven foot, sorry, five foot difference between these adjusted bag sizes, he'd still only be saving. This is the fastest player in baseball. These, these, these numbers um, will obviously change a lot. Like if we look, uh, actually the distance between these numbers is relatively similar. Let's pick someone. Let's go with Fernando Tatis Jr. He's someone I think we know a little bit more. He feels like a more familiar yeah, guy. I'm, I'm familiar with him. 80-foot sprint time, 3.57 seconds. 75-foot sprint time, 3.41 seconds. It's still 0.16 seconds. It's, it's, just, it's just not a lot of time. Uh, let's go with someone really slow. Who's slow that we, that uh, we know Nelson and Cruz. Love? Oh, God, I don't even want to think about Nelson Cruz running. <laughs> oh, my God, that hurts my, that hurts my heart. Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt's slow. Um, he has the 18th slowest sprint speed at um, – 
His 90-foot sprint speed is 4.39, which is still a like relatively fast person, but that's slow for baseball, I guess. Um, his 80-foot sprint speed is uh, 3.97 seconds, and his 75-foot sprint speed is 3.77 seconds. So, again, it only is saving 0.2 seconds. It's not a huge difference. And, no. you know, I – I was a little bit like, okay, you know, I kind of get it when I first heard it because I think, you know, you hear shrinking of the base pass. You go, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. Might encourage it more. It's just not – it's just so insignificant. And it led me to wondering – and I, I, I no facts to back this up. Just kind of curious. Do you think it might affect pickoffs more than it would stolen bases? Now – Obviously, there's, there's talk about limiting the number of pickoffs, um, as that's also been a rule that's been introduced. But it also, not only does it move the base closer to, you know, first base closer to second base artificially, it also artificially increases, or sorry, decreases the distance between first base and the pitcher's mound, which means that, you know, Jose Abreu standing on first base is going to be four or more inches, sorry, yeah, three or more inches closer to um, Lucas Giolito than he would have been otherwise as well. And if players feel as though base paths are shorter, it may incent them to take longer leadoffs. And a longer leadoff with a shorter distance that the pickoff attempt actually needs to go could actually increase pickoffs. I honestly just don't think it's a significant enough difference. I mean, we're talking... Very little, very little here. room. Yeah, I really don't know how much that would make an, an honest to god impact. Um, sure, if you extrapolate it, you know, let's say three attempts a game over the course of 162 games for every team. Sure, you could look at those raw numbers increase as far as an actual honest to god impact in the game and something that you know us analytics fans are going to focus on and, and make adjustments on. I don't think it matters. I really don't. And yeah, because I, I have other things that I was wondering, but the problem with all of them is that this is such a small distance we're talking about. Because the other point I was going to ask your opinion on is that this also, the longer you run for up to a certain point, because eventually you get tired, um, you build up speed and eventually hit a top speed. This is very common to look at in football because, you know, if you're a running back, you're obviously not going to hit your top speed within five fucking steps. You have to like work up to running 20 miles per hour, you know? Um, and if you decrease the, the distance between base paths, you might also end up with uh, lower sprint speeds on the longer end because people just have to run less, which is not going to build up speed and they have to start sliding sooner, which means that they're going to um, pick an earlier point in their sprint to uh, kind of put the brakes on. And I was wondering if that was going to affect how we view sprint speed. But again, the problem with that is that it's just not a lot of additional room. It's just not a huge difference between the two things. And, and this is like, I forget what rule corn and I were talking about a couple days or weeks ago, but I don't mind rule changes if they seem to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And the more time I spend looking at, kind of how these numbers would break out, the more I'm not convinced this is going to do anything interesting. Yeah. Again, it's, it's noticeable on a game to game basis. No, 
season to season basements, sure. Some people are going to blow it up proportions. Yeah, absolutely. But to you, I, to the layman watching the games, no, nothing will change. Honestly, if they didn't advertise this, guarantee you no one would even notice a difference, except for the guys on the field. I mean, this is really going to put to the put to the test the uh, the idea of marginal differences and how they relate to actual increases or decreases in certain levels of production. Because, you know, we're sitting here talking about a difference of a little over four inches and, you know, how much impact that four and a half, five inches might end up ultimately making in terms of uh, pickoffs and stolen bases and who knows, maybe even just being able to go first to second on certain types of uh, or avoiding fielder's choices and, and double plays. But, you know, if it ends up making a difference, it could be some, some type of informant as to, you know, how close a lot of this shit really is to being drastically different. I'm just, I'm just very skeptical of it because I don't, I don't buy it, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, four inches, six inches, eight inches, like the actual size doesn't matter. It's, you know, how the players use it, how you use it, and just, you know, how much satisfaction we can get from the game. Corbin Heller never missing an opportunity to take the easy joke. <laughs> I don't know if you were watching me while you were going through that. I was. I just was like. I saw, I saw the go. gears turning I, in there. I know exactly what I'm going to say. Yep, yep. I knew it was coming when you were done. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So then the I only... always come when I'm done. I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, the only other thing that we uh, had on our docket to talk about today, which is a nice short topic that we can close out on, is uh, is a Cubs prospect got caught with 20-some-odd pounds of meth in his bag. So apparently... The way the story went is um, this Cubs prospect was uh, approached by a friend of his who got asked him uh, to basically just mule the um, this very large amount of meth for, you know, five hundred dollars. And this broke ass Cubs prospect was like, yeah, he then got stopped on a traffic stop. He got his shit searched and they found 20 some odd pounds of meth. And now this is a wild story for many reasons. Um, Cause for one, that's just so much goddamn meth. Um, but it's also wild because it's not a lot of money. It's certainly not enough to warrant that. Um, and that speaks a lot to the terrible, terrible wage and living conditions of minor league ball players, which is something that we've talked about so often. And it's like, obviously not all minor league ball players are turning to literally being drug mules. Um, this is quite out of the ordinary. Um, but at the same time, this is, uh, this is this is what people bring up when they talk about poverty in general as it relates to to the you know underground illicit drug economy. 
Um, I don't know. I was just wondering what your impression of the story was. Uh, I actually, I only ever heard the headline. I never read into the story about why. Um, the thing that strikes me is how many times have you gotten pulled over in your life? I've been pulled over half a dozen. Um, under 15. I'm not confident if it's over 10 though. I just want yeah. to play it safe. How many of those times led to your car getting searched? Zero times. Yeah. I'm in that boat too. How nervous do you have to be? Like, I'm not even thinking about, you know, if they were tipped off or if they knew, you know, to expect something, this, that, or if he just had it fucking sitting out on the passenger seat. Who knows? I don't know the details. Oh, but apparently there was a canine unit in the car that pulled him over. <laughs> so really bad luck. I've never gotten pulled over by a canine unit. That is especially bad. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Come on. Like, I get that he's probably not driving... Uh, a car that would be in tip-top perfect shape, you know, like a, a relatively new car with all the trims and features that would prevent you from getting pulled over, like working brake lights, turn signals, things like that. But drive so, the speed limit, drive in the right lane. So, so he got pulled over. Asshole. He got pulled over for speeding. How fast do you think he was going? It's got to be like thirty over. It's going to be something stupid, ridiculous. Got caught going 70 and a 65. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Did he oh, sell his soul for this $500? Sorry, I missed a sentence. Stop for speeding and drifting into another lane. That makes sense then. Okay, okay, that makes way more sense. That is so much more reasonable than 70 and a 65. Yep, 21 pounds of meth and 1.2 pounds of oxy. Um, yeesh. Yeah, um, he so told like police that he had been offered $500 to deliver the bag to Denver, which is where this uh, prospect was heading because he was going to go work at a, uh, I guess a youth baseball camp or something like that. Um, so $500 to bring the bag to Denver by someone in Sinaloa, Mexico, home of a notorious drug cartel. Um, yeah. The 25 year old right-handed pitcher is not considered a top prospect and hasn't been a, uh, has not been above class a advanced ball Jeez. so he's not making a lot of money he's not looking like he'd make a lot of money didn't get much of a signing bonus guys just desperate to make ends meet yeah god just a just a heartbreaking story man and and yeah, again really, i really is you know, people are going to look at it and and it's drugs and people oftentimes assign morality to the concept of drugs. And, you know, that's a separate discussion. But I think the real takeaway here is a guy took five hundred dollars, which is not a lot of money to do something insanely risky. And that's that's the nature of poverty. And, you know, baseball might think it's like 
you got to pay your dues and eat your peanut butter sandwiches to get through the miners like everybody else did since 1905. And it's like, no, no, you shouldn't. Because here's a guy who wasn't getting by on that and started pushing drugs because he's broke because y'all don't pay. Um, it goes it goes back to the whole premise of I promise not to get too political of you know, do we punish the act or do we work to fix the cause? You know, it's, it's, it, you know, we can relate this back to uh, process versus outcome. You know, what is the process that leads to someone having to take $500 to mule heavy, heavy felony quantities of drugs across state lines and risk going to prison for the rest of his life for five hundred dollars versus maybe he's just a fucking dumbass asshole criminal whatever what look at what is causing these crimes and work to stop them rather than increasing punishment for those who are forced to do it you know like it's like cutting the hands off someone who steals bread to feed, feed his family it, not quite it, the same but you know i know i know, it, I know what you mean yes and again, baseball is not going to see it as their problem, which is part of the problem because it is their problem to some extent. It, it might not be the full extent. I'm sure there's backstory here that we don't know because of course there is. Um, that's how like life works. Mm-hmm. But um, it is also to a certain extent, baseball's fucking issue. Um, Absolutely. Pay your fucking players. It's not that hard. Give them money. Joe Biden gave me $1,400 last week. <laughs> I'm waiting on my check, but, you know, it happens. Uh, yeah. You know what? It's it's We're going to have this conversation a lot more. We've already had it quite a lot, but the fact that MLB just refuses to pay its employees a lovable wage in any conceivable view is criminal. And on that bright and cheery note, time to get out of here. Time to get out of here. <laughs> this is good. If uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. We never tweet from there. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And if you want to follow Corwin on Hiller, you can do so Corwin on Twitter. You can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to email the show, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And uh, until, nope, Thursday. Um, Y'all have a good one. Bye.